This is the Manips and Sips podcast show, featuring two fellowship-trained, board-certified orthopedic and sports physical therapists. Join us as we talk all things physical therapy, manual therapy, performance, business, education, research, and of course, Sips. Hey everyone, this is the Nips and Sips podcast show featuring me. I'm Dr. Jeremy Boyd and my usual partner in crime over there, Dr. Brandon Cruz. Today we're going to be talking about does the pop really matter when we talk about uh, joint manipulations? Uh, does the cavitation really make a difference or not? There's some research saying that it doesn't, um, but as experienced clinicians, uh, we're going to put our insight to it before we get into it. Brandon, how's it going? Going well, man. Uh, looking forward to this, this conversation. We um you know, have talked about this in the past side conversation. We had a uh, course uh, a couple weeks ago where it was brought up there uh, in conversation. I know you're doing some mentoring now with a, a, f- a former fellow uh, came up in there. A uh, lot of layers to this, you know, and uh, I don't think there's one sed- steadfast opinion on it. And there used to be, and we'll share our experiences on what we used to think. And now that we're uh, older and, and wiser, mm-hmm. um, you know, what, uh, what we now think. Yeah. Yeah. Jeremy, Terrible. you're catching up. You just had a birthday. Huh? I said, you're catching up in age. You just had a birthday. I know. So I'm trying to catch up my you, man. You, you can't you know. keep saying I'm the old man. And no, no, I, th- and I think I have more gray hairs than you do. Right. So. Right. Oh, I'm, yeah, thin, I'm thinning now. I'm thinning. Yeah. That I still got, you know, but every once in a while I sleep funny. I'm like this. I'm like, Oh shit. Today's the day. Yeah. Um, but I'm all right for now. So but the gray hairs are coming in and plentiful of late. So, but um, yeah, but first things first, what's, what's on the, the docket for, for drinks. Got the big, big boy here. Oh, some oh, classe oh. azul given by uh, none of himself, Mike De La Cruz. Legend. My primo. And I'm drinking it in a lovely Pursuit PT glass there. Nice. Low ball glass. Uh, so that's what we got. What do you got going oh, on? I'm mixing it up on you. First time in show history. I'm going for some booze booze. Ooh. Yeah, so this it's, is it's a monumental oh. moment here. Huh? The monumental moment. I know. I know. I don't know. This might be the, maybe it's, this is the 75th episode. So maybe that's the reason why, but uh, I got some bottles uh, recently and then started looking at my bar cart over there. And if I don't start putting more work in, it's going to start really uh, getting out of hand. But um, my main man, TJ hooked me up with this for my 33rd. We had a little sipsy sipsies with it. It was delicious. Uh, I'm still going to pour it out. Not that it's going to make that nice fizzing noise, but it was a beautiful bottle. It was delicious. I am drinking it out of a awesome glass that my honors bio teacher who became an amazing close friend to me, helped me get into PT school. Uh, Our friend, our son's a dear friend of mine, Drew. Uh, This is for uh, Dr. Murphy. Uh, She got me this glass, which is the uh, longitude latitude of where I got married in Philadelphia. Oh, nice. That's awesome. And she got me another glasses. I think the wine glasses were the longitude latitude of of the first trifecta location. So it was pretty pretty cool. Oh, that's dope. That's really, dope. Really dope gift. So well poorsy there and got some actual rocks in there. I forgot how I got those, but yeah, I got frozen bullets in mine. Uh, that's pretty cool. Um so cheers. 
It'll be interesting to see how it affects me throughout the rest of the day. Usually the beer, uh, sometimes I'm not too bad. Other times I'm pretty sluggish, but uh, I haven't really had much middle of the day uh, scotch whiskey. So those are the days when we used to try and plow out two, three, four episodes. And by the end, we're spacing out and slowing our words. And those were, those are the days. And we get people who keep like mentioning like, Oh, I went back and heard some of your older episodes. They mentioned the EDM song that was regrettable. Um, And that they're like, yeah, I can think I can tell when you're, you know, a couple episodes deep. I'm like, those were the days doing episodes in cars and stuff like that. Hey, that's 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 part of the evolution, man. You know, we started, you know, we're in our uh 20s when we started that. I might have just turned 30, I think. We're just about um, to hit our four-year anniversary of the of the show, I think. Yeah, we, we've had obviously some times where we, we uh weren't as consistent. Obviously, life gets in the way, marriages, opening up offices, fellowships, whatever you name it. Um, we were trying it out. We used to do this for our audience, we used to do this on uh on our cell phones off this app called anchor which at the time we thought it was good it was a recommendation by gary v so i guess it was good but not really yeah get interrupted by phone calls and text messages or we'd lose service and we'd have to stop it was always blotched out yeah but that's all right man you know we didn't start off perfect we're still not getting we're still not perfect we're getting there um it's been like you said four years going on four years i mean four years coming up yeah like who would have thought yeah. you know, things are now, you know, things are starting to take off. We're having more listens. We're having, um, you know, people coming in and mentioning stuff and, mm-hmm. you know, signing up for courses because of it or, or internships because of it. Yeah. Had somebody reach out from uh, what state was it? Minnesota to do an internship here all the way in New Jersey. Wow. Uh, things fell through with the contract, so it didn't happen, but awesome that, uh, you know, they reached out so that's pretty we're good. making it we're making a change somewhere hopefully yeah, 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 yeah awesome awesome um start from the bottom now we're here right and we're yeah. still going up but just like our clinical careers as well same process we look back and kind of grown about how we once were and um how much we've grown since and we still got a lot of growing to do but uh you know speaking of today's topics the, let's let's talk about popping uh, wait Oh yeah. Hopefully that. I don't, hopefully I don't that really that. Huh? No, I can't. My fingers don't do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm all I'm all cracked out. Oh, there you go. Let me should, should I get the neck one? Should we do that? Hold on. Oh, there it is. <laughs> all right. For anybody listening to this via audio, go on YouTube and watch this and watch what Jeremy just did. Because he'll do this like in the middle of like courses, and we just be like. In the in the corner, just like spinning his neck. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? You like, you're going through something where you're tweaking out, going through course. withdrawals. Where I was just like, kept doing it. I was like, I couldn't get it, and uh, you know, that's a perfect example where I wanted a pop and I just couldn't do it. And didn't think about what it was probably looking like as you're presenting the course, and I'm in the back going, <laughs> looking like a dog with a cone yeah. on his head, trying to you know, what the hell's that? <laughs> um. But yeah, on to the pop. I mean, we like the pop. We're self-manipulators. We obviously like manual therapy. We like manipulation. We like the cavitation. I am sorry to say 
say all the research you want. If you manipulate somebody and you say you don't care about the crack, you're lying. You just are. We all want the crack, Mm -hmm. right? Is there research saying that it's not the most important thing, um, at least research-wise or or, um, physiologic-wise, things like that? There's research that says it is important. You know, we're going to loop in how, the, how what the patient's perspective is, how that ties into evidence-based practice. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, if you're a skilled clinician, if you're, you know, practicing your craft, you know, in the beginning, you may not get them all the time, but if you're doing it for, for a period of time, um, you should, you should be getting those, those, uh, those cracks, especially on, you know, your T-spine manips, a cervical upslope, a sideline lumbopelvic. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, there, there are certain techniques where you don't get a cavitation. It's not designed to get a cavitation. We're not talking about that. Um, and, uh, Jeremy, uh, I don't want to take away his thunder, but, um, you know, there's thoughts out there that you don't need the crack. So, it's okay. And I'll pass it off to Jeremy so he can talk about that. Yeah. Um, this came up from doing a fellowship round um, or mentorship round per se. Uh, and I've heard it before from resident students, um, even myself at times, I used to probably say this, this verbatim, I'm going to do a technique to you, a quick stretch. You may get some pops or cracks out of it, but it doesn't really matter what, it, if you do or you don't according to research. Boom. A couple variations there, if you if you will. Um, so I heard it and that sort of stuff. And then we had a conversation about it. Um, a fellow trainer I was, I'm working with works more in a neuro, uh, a Phil, amazing PT, um, but doesn't he's not as much into outpatient orthopedics. So we're working on the, the manipulations and stuff. Um, so when I'm obviously I have more experience, I can do that sort of stuff uh, a little bit more easily. And the, in that particular case with the patient, once I came in and did it, maybe it's the ritual of Jeremy, I'm the owner, I, you know, I'm the one doing some of the mentoring and it had more of a placebo effect, or was it, you know, when I was able to elicit the pop, um, I think we, we set up ourselves for failure, uh, when we kind of start off with that conversation, um, where we're almost, you know, setting us up for not getting a pop uh, and setting up as the expectation. And okay, well, it's good enough if uh, me just doing it. Um, and I can remember so many techniques that I just, I mean, I put up that uh, cuboid whip, uh, you know, progression over my lifespan, I guess. Um, and it's so much more crisper. I get so many more cavitations now. But if I settled on how I did things eight years ago, nine years ago, um, yeah, I would still be getting the same results. And I can say um, when we do get those cavitations, I, I believe there is more of a grand effect. We get the more, ah, oh, you just don't get when you, you do upslope and you're like, hmm, that didn't go. And they're like, yeah, it feels a little bit better, which what we always say is probably not much better at all. Yeah. Um, but that I think that's, that's we're taking these, some of these research studies that, previously said the pop doesn't matter you know it's maybe the speed or how you apply the technique that's really important and we're taking them to heart and apply that to everything oh if it doesn't work if it doesn't okay that's good enough 
Um, I really don't think that's the case as someone who, again, who practiced like that and just anecdotally over the years, seeing the individuals that was able to elicit a cavitation, it seems like it had a more grander effect and to the point where I wouldn't need to do more manipulations afterwards. Like there is some times where we finally get things to go. And then the next session, they come back, they're feeling so much better. I'm like, oh, we can do it again, whatever it may be. They're like, I'm good, whatever it may be. So that's my experience with that. Uh, you know, I hope, you know, especially students and that sort of stuff, it's, they just get these techniques. Maybe they get, I mean, I remember when I went to do, go teach manipulations at class, it was like an hour for 30, 40 kids. Boom, 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 boom. Uh, it was impossible to get to everybody, um, you know, and you're learning these techniques, you want to apply them, and you just may not have the speed, the confidence to do them. And we just settle there. And we take that research and say, hey, that's good enough. But it's probably not, in my opinion. Yeah, uh, I, I was, you know, similar, uh, you know, with my evolution, but I think you said something important does that lead to the notion the cavitation doesn't matter so people don't bother to spend the time to hone in on their skill set it's like the the saying oh we're not as specific as we once thought so specificity doesn't matter mm -hmm. i mean yeah but no uh, same thing with the cavitation yeah but no like you, you know you look at certain research and you know who was it the flynn and child's article who talked about does the pot matter um, and they said, no, it doesn't. And yes, you know, from a muscle spindle stretch reflex aspect, we're looking at the speed of the, the technique. And you look at Reed's article in 14 and 13 that we talk about in our spinal manipulation uh, course. Yeah, that the, you know, uh, primitive, uh, primitive hold and mini thrust will increase um, the speed at which you're able to do it. And therefore the neurophysiological effect from the muscle spindle. Right. Mm. And, uh, you know, the, the afferent fibers, gamma and C fibers and all that other stuff, right. That gets stimulated faster with speed. Mm. Um, but you know, what about the other side, which we've also talked about on the, that it kind of gets encompassed or encapsulated in the neurophysiological effect is those chemical effects. Well, that cavitation we know is a drop in pressure within the joint space from a separation quote unquote, of, um, you know, the joints being, you know, separated. So that's going to create or induce a chemical effect. That chemical effect is going to have carryover into the spinal cord and brain, you know, which is going to mediate a lot of different things, um, especially in terms of pain. Um, also in, in improving range of motion, you know, now we go into patients' expectations, you know, evidence-based practice, a pillar of evidence-based practice is patient expectations. So if they're expecting a cavitation and they don't get one, did we fully meet all pillars of evidence-based practice, which goes to our other podcast where we talk about evidence-based practice is not just the research. It's not just the, re like, so this is where our evolution now, after eight, nine years, teaching the stuff, residencies, fellowship. I mean, we sleep, eat and breathe PT more than um, probably 99% of PTs. Um, you know, we get to have these conversations and these conversations help our evolution. They help our thought process. We then, you know, get to look at different research and apply this article and that article. And, that, you know. and now we get a, a more robust framework and reasoning and, and decision-making um, for it, you know, 
And it's funny because, you know, sometimes we like to be validated, right? Mm-hmm. And, and you and I kind of felt this way probably for a while. And I remember coming back after a weekend a couple of years ago, uh, fellowship weekend with Josh Cleland, the man, the myth, the legend, right? Uh, you know, probably one of the most renowned physical therapists and researchers on the cervical spine. Uh, luckily, I had him as a CT uh, during our CT course, and he said something where it's like, yes, I knew it. Like I felt validated whether I needed that or not. But, you know, when it comes from a superior, somebody who put puts out 300 articles um, on this topic, it's like, great. And he's like, yeah, in the beginning, you're probably not going to get a lot. Uh, but, you sh- you know, to master this technique or to be proficient, you should be getting, mm-hmm. um, you know, cavitations pretty regularly. May mm-hmm. not happen all the time. I'm wrong. There's some patients who just don't cavitate or maybe they're really tight, mm-hmm. um, you know, you know, spasming, et cetera, et cetera. But for the most part, if you're proficient, you should be getting some cavitations on on most of these techniques. Um, you know, and, and when you, you look at it from the patient's point of view, whether it's erroneous or not, you know, there, there's, you know, research saying, you know, beliefs in population um, about uh, cavitation sounds. And yeah, we, we need to do our job and educate our patient. Mm-hmm. Um, but that doesn't mean we're going to be able to de-educate every single patient and re-educate them, right? They're going to mm-hmm. have their beliefs and that's okay. And if their expectation is a cavitation and you didn't meet that, well, did you, you know, is it going to help with buy-in? Mm-hmm. Uh, did you meet their, their needs Their you know, so, um, you know, and like Jeremy said in the beginning, you know, when we crack our own necks or he cracks me or manipulates me, or I probably shouldn't say cracking, but as a, as a scientific term, but, um, you know, we're looking for that cavitation. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, uh, it's only natural. So, yeah, I think you brought up some great points there, especially with the, the education side of things. Um, you know, it's a, I think a lot of where this comes from is like the whole also tied into the, the adjustment thought process and, yeah, and, 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 and it yeah. fuels that idea of you know we're just fueling that concept and people need to be realigned no it doesn't have to be that way at all i just every time i do it i'm like do you know what happens when we have the pops uh and most people don't know and some people will say the old school thought process of you know that's some bones getting back together i'm like no it's not quite how it works you're not like humpty dumpty and maybe put back together but um, we're just moving the joint at a certain speed and some there's some air bubbles if you want to know the specifics nitrogen oxygen you know hydrogen i don't do that too much um, and when we do that when we move the joint and we get that effect um, it can have a effect on pain other things mobility um, and you know go for whatever they need or even some activation of muscles or decrease uh, especially when we're doing some things when we talk about some regional stuff of, you know, all right, this person doesn't have any pain, but maybe they have some difficulty firing up their glutes or their trap muscles and that sort of stuff. And I'm like, Oh, I'd like to do this technique again. It would be a quick stretch, get some pops um, and it may activate some muscles. So you can reframe people's thought process um, every time you do manual therapy. You know, some people are going to have their, their old school ways, um, and again, Brandon said it, you're not going to be able to de-educate everybody, but if you have, if they have enough trust in you and you do a good enough technique, they'll start to believe you. 
Um, I always say that's everybody's opportunity to change them for their lifespan. So if that's what they believe. Huh? Sorry to cut you off. Every, every person has a chance for you to show your value as a clinician, Mm -hmm. as a profession, as the profession. That, that's something I look at as, um, you know, people come in, oh, well, what are you going to do differently? I've been a PT, you know, six other times. I'm fighting up hell. I'm here not only to show my worth that I'm better, but this profession is or can be better. Mm-hmm. Sorry to cut you off. No, I love that. That That's that's huge. Like that's, you know, I, I think we go to battle and we're wearing the, the fatigues of physical therapy. Uh, we had a, you know, awesome conversation with uh, Kyle when he was up here for the course and um, obviously, uh, Brandon and I's practices are heavy direct access and everything like that. So our mentality first is PT first. Um, we can fix everything. Yes. In, in all honesty, and I'm, I'm in the sports or any, you know, Brandon, you're also in the ortho realm and we work with physicians. We work with athletic trainers and we're not trying to like, Oh, it's us first the world. No, it's not that. But I do think we have we are in the best opportunity to treat the muscular. Yeah, in a sense. But because that's how our profession was created, in a sense, or that's how it's molded now for certain couple of us, or hopefully more than a couple of us, where we have the ability and time to educate. We have the ability to perform hands-on techniques for pain modulation uh, and potentially performance-based. Uh, we have the time to exercise people. So they have the belief of now that they can do more and, you know, that window of opportunity we create, they, their capacity increases. So there's a psychological benefit of that. They're like, Oh, wait, I couldn't do that. Now I can. And that helps. Um, we have all these, you know, these beautiful things. Uh, so I obviously, you know, want to push that. I know Brandon, you want to do that. And Kyle does as well. Um, but you know, it requires, you know, PTs doing these things, getting the job done so people can become proponents of physical therapy. Um, you know, there's too many people out there have tried it, don't want to do it anymore. Um, maybe it's because we need to do a better job of actually fixing people, modulating their pain and getting them back to full function. Um, but that's a, that's a tangent that went off on yeah, that. <laughs> I was like, all right, wait, this sounds like this is going to be a totally different episode. Um, but um, yeah, uh, I guess a good question there, Brandon. Let's say um, you have someone, you're maybe your younger clinician, or you, you have someone that says, I just feel like I just need to pop this. And you may not, you tried, and how many times are you trying before you, you give up on the idea? Or what do you do if you can't? For the patient or for the as a clinician or student? Assuming these are these are clinicians listening in. If we have any patients or clients, this would be great. No, no, I I meant your your question. If I have a a, an intern or a resident or a younger clinician not able to get a pop, what are we doing? Yeah, or yeah, or how many times would you say you'd go before you just give up on it or that sort of sense as like, as a young person, if I'm a young clinician or whatever it may be, as a young patient that says, Oh, I just feel like my neck needs to get cracked or popped. And you go in you do it, do it. You give them the spiel and it doesn't crack or pop. Do you just stop there? Do you try another? Yeah. So um, I think I hear what you're saying. I'm going to give you two different answers just to cover kind of both bases. So, uh, you know, um, you know, anyone knows I'm a clinic 
you know, uh, entry level interns, residents, fellows, you know, they're, they're all in uh, pretty much all the time. Like right now I have, um, SPTs, uh, a therapist out, you know, a year and a half and a fellow all at the same time. They're all in, right? So, so well, let's say one of them can't get a manipulation. Usually they, they call me over. Hey, I think this technique is indicated. Okay, why are we not? We go over some, some clinical reason and make sure we're, we're on par. All right, let me, let me see if I can do it. Usually I can get it. Um, if not, you, you don't get it, you don't get it. Like I said, sometimes you're, you're not going to be able to get it. Um, like you, I, I usually tell my patients if um, if I do ask their permission, which I always don't, sometimes I'm just mobilizing and doing my stuff and it just kind of happens, right? But let's say for whatever reason, I need to, I feel the need, I need to educate this person. I say, hey, you know, we're going to do a manipulation. You may hear some cracks or pops. Uh, you may or may not hear some cracks or pops. Either way, it's, it's okay. And like you said, if you hear a pops, it's just gas being released from the, the joint. So now you're kind of covering both bases. You may hear, you may not, either way, it doesn't matter, right? I'll go left, I'll go right. Um, I, I usually manipulate both sides anyway. Um, if I don't get it, maybe I might try adding different vectors, a little more chin, if we're doing a cervical upslope, a little more chin flexion, side glide, maybe hitting a different segment, going a little further down, a little further up, um, trying to be specific, right? Even though we can't. Um, with that, see if, you know, I change it. If not, um, chances are they're, they're probably not going to go that day, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe they need some soft tissue work, you know, back when I had dry needling and, you know, wearable dry needle now, countless times you'll get like a neck or a low back. That's just the paraspinal, not even a paraspinal is multifidized. Just, I mean, it's in spasm. I think we can all agree with that. Hypertonicity maybe is a better word. It's, it's driving, it's compressing down that joint, probably causing a lot of somatic referral pain. I'll needle the area. I remember I, I had a, actually a buddy of mine who ended up being a patient, um, just stiff as, as it can all be. And it took about four needling sessions, um, you know, hitting his multifidine, and his thoracic spine. And then I was able to just have a field day. It was like fireworks on 4th July, just pop, 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 pop. And then he came in, you know, the next session and we got even more. Like now things are finally opening up. We impacted some, some changes on the nervous system that maybe took a couple of days or a couple of weeks to down modulate and, you know, mm -hmm. decrease the tonicity and descending inhibition. And that's just understanding neurophysiological aspects and all the aspects involved in what we do and not always looking at, at, at the biomechanical uh, mm -hmm. side. So I know I gave you probably more than what you're asking for, but that's pretty much what I do. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes it just doesn't go and, and that's fine. I'll let it be. I'm not, you know, sitting there uh, well in the way. Here's a <laughs> funny story, actually. I don't know if you were in residency uh, during this, but you had to hear this story. Um, Cheryl and I were in residency and there was a, another, um, another uh, student there who um, you could tell she just, it just wasn't her setting. I think she had a couple of years my couple probably like five or eight in like the inpatient world was transitioning to outpatient. So she wanted to brush up. So she's a residency makes sense. Right. So we're on virtual rounds and, you know, she's presenting on the low back and she's like, yeah, I, uh, I thought the patient deserved the manipulation or required a manipulation response. So I did it and uh, test retested. Nothing happened. No cavitation. So I did it again. Nothing happened. So I wasn't sure. So I did it one more time and nothing happened. So now we're at three. 
So then she goes to the other side and does it like another four times. So like all I remember was that she did like seven manipulations in like <laughs> a five minute period to the same region. And it's like, you know, okay, that's probably not where you're going to get your bread and butter today. That's fine. You know, you don't have to keep doing it. So yeah. it was a running joke between uh, Cheryl and I for a while. On uh, yeah, I don't think the I lack of one. clinical reasoning and stuff like that. It, it's just funny. You know, obviously, you know, she's there like anybody else to get better. But, um, you know, that's a case where, you know, you try it once or twice. It doesn't work. Go on to something else. Um, another thing you could do maybe is try treating regionally. You know, if you're treating the low back and it's not going, okay, let me hit the T-spine. Let me hit the hips. Mm-hmm. Let's work on that area. Let's see if we can modulate, make some type of chain there. And then we could go back to the back in a couple of sessions. Mm-hmm. You know, so maybe I do some neurodynamics, right? Loosen up the, you know, pathways that way mm-hmm. um, and then hit it. I mean, just try other techniques and then go back. Yeah. I think most people won't know, especially if you hit regionally, won't know where the, a lot of the cracks are coming from, especially like T-spine, the lumbar spine, maybe upper T-spine to, you know, some uh, cervical thoracic or cervical. Um, but yeah, it's a good example with probably too much, um, you know, and then potentially installing more fear. Like why is this person trying this so many times and, you know, keeps retesting and everything like that. But um, but, um i'm gonna flip the question what was your you know do you have a different thought process than that for their audience and then also with that your conversation with chris the guy here mentoring you know uh if you could shed a little more you know light onto you know were, was there discussions on mm-hmm. the research was it hey you know i used to think this but now i think this you know what was his did he have an aha moment or a light bulb or you know what was his response to that conversation at you know, I think that's the the big thing about mentoring is you get to mm-hmm. pick other people's brains and not necessarily just learn techniques. Like that's like probably like the least thing you valuable mm-hmm. you get out of a mentorship. I agree. I think I think a lot of it's <laughs> as you say is like you know you're there maybe mentoring someone, but I it's more for me as well as a mentor. It's like I want to hear your rationale and thought process to enhance my own. Uh, last like three mentoring sessions, I've picked up on some great nuggets and some great metaphors and analogies. Mine are getting way too stagnant, way too old. Uh, you know, props to uh, Tara. She made this great waterboarding one, which sounds vicious on the line. I'll go more in depth into it. And then uh, Chris had a great FEMA one, like earthquakes and all this sort of stuff. But it's always great to just get other people's insights and that sort of stuff um me personally I, I i totally agree you know try different areas um you know and just don't give up on it if it's something you feel like it's beneficial maybe they're benefiting from mobilizations or maybe the manipulation and then cavitate doesn't mean you, you give up on it and that sort of stuff i can't tell you how many people i've had where it's like the second third or fourth session um that's when they finally go as you say like fireworks um but if you gave up after that first one Cause it's like, oh, it didn't work. And so, yeah, it's, it's a, it doesn't really help out the confidence when you're there and you're like, ah, ah, and it's like, oh, silent. Um, but you keep going at it. again, there may be some things, you know, some guarding of the nervous system and all this sort of stuff. That's not allowing you to, you know, get to the range to cavitate or the speed or the patient. Yeah. Again, maybe holding back on you a little bit. Um, and therefore is restricting your speed in order to get to those cavitations. So that's my thought process with that. Um, in regards to, you know, Chris and when we were talking about, it, he was, he's fully kind of on board with it. And we were going over into the studies and everything like that. And we, we brought up, I brought up more of my, um, 
experience because I have obviously more experience with manipulations. He's more in neuro, but he's, he's had some people where, um, you know, it's tough for him. You know, he's working with spinal cord injuries and people can't get in positions. Um, so he'll do what he can and that sort of stuff. But, um, or he'll like shy obviously from cervical techniques. Uh, but yeah, he'll, he's, he's talking about it and he's saying, you know, the same like thing. Like, I don't know why we kind of kind of bring that up in a sense. Um, you know, especially I think he was acknowledging the fact that, you know, his lack of experience doing it kind of fueled that, that, that piece there. Um, and I, when I looked at it and I was explaining myself was, yeah, I had, I say the same things verbatim when I was younger and then just naturally over time, I just kind of stopped saying it so much, mm-hmm. um, you know, and so I think that's, it's good to have that self-reflection in a sense. Um, and then I was like, the more and more skilled you get at it, the less and less you're going to have to say that. Um, but definitely in his setting, I'm excited. I'll be actually going to his, uh, his inpatient rehab, there's neuro intensive rehab and doing some mentorship there and seeing oh, that. So and, let um, me know if uh, you guys try some neurodynamics on some of these, uh, stroke and, uh, spinal cord injury patients. I would like to see if it's one being done and two, how effective it is. Oh, it is. It is. We've had some, that's probably where most of our conversations actually have gone nice. to. Nice. Um, we've, we brought up some things and then he's bringing, he has someone where he, uh, I may be wrong, Chris, if you're listening on this, uh, uh, sorry that I screwed up the numbers. Uh, but he had someone, I can't remember what level, uh, spinal cord injury. So sorry, I'm getting old, but had some issues, walking pain, everything like that. Uh, couldn't do like a straight leg raise more than, I think you said 20, 30 degrees. This is where I'm going to get messed up. Um, but within, I think two sessions, him doing neural dynamics, he was getting the guy up to 70 degrees and making an improvement. Yeah. That's, uh, That's yeah. awesome. So from 45, I want to say it was like 20, 30. I, my um, numbers i'm losing numbers this year let's say it was 30 and let's say you got to 60 it's still a 30 degree improvement yeah. i mean that's still significant in the neural realm um yeah. so like he he's mentioning like again he does some things that nobody else does and again we put the these hats on um and i applaud you know chris to the ninth degree here is like he's gone and continues to improve himself and bring things different elements in uh chris has been on our show you guys go back look up chris carroll it's an amazing episode um, yeah. he's on our pt reframed uh he's the type of person you listen to him and you want to get into neuro yourself uh but yeah he integrates this sort of stuff and that's part of the like i talked to him about it. it's like i brought it in i was like is there any real research of like us not doing manipulations on you know post-stroke individuals and that sort of stuff um like there really isn't any, he'll do T-spine stuff. So we, we've discussed that. And he's like, you know, especially the chronic ones, like he's seen people that have had their stroke 15, 20 years ago. Yeah, why not? This is like, why not? You know, we start having these conversations. Uh, and, uh, you know, me personally, I'd get people who had strokes years ago and I'm like, nope, can't do that one. Um, well, in all reality, what's saying that we can't? Um, yeah, yeah. Yes, they might have had something, and the beer, big fear around, especially like cervical techniques, is you know you're going to throw a clot or whatever, occlude the arteries to the brain. Um, but really, there's really no evidence to suggest that. You all know, you all know what says no. These damn RCTs that exclude these type of patients because they only need a certain type of patients. Like that's that's my beef with randomized control trials. They exclude too many people that we see mm-hmm. everyday life. Yeah, if, if you're going to exclude them. You should at least have a, a separate study 
having them in it. <laughs> that way you can say, well, in that yeah. study, you know. Well, yeah. yeah. Then, well, that's then another thing. Like then, you, then you run to, to ethical dilemmas and R, R, what, RB, uh, IRB reviews and all that other stuff. Mm -hmm. So obviously you can't do, you know, that's just a limitation in, in randomized control trials. Mm -hmm. But if you're out there and hopefully uh, Chris starts doing some case studies or some write-ups because this dude's a NCS in a neuro setting doing an orthopedic manual therapy fellowship. Like, mm -hmm. awesome. Amazing. Awesome. All right. Okay. Um, uh, uh, hold on one second. I'm gonna I'm gonna call here. Hold on, Emmett's calling. Yeah, bud. Let me let me call you yeah. in two minutes. I'm just finished up this podcast. This is how you live say it hi. Is I want you to yell hi to the audience here. This guy. There, there he go. Yes, heard that? Let me put you on speaker. I got I got to put you on speaker for that, Emmett. There you go. Doctor Rojo himself. What's up, Manipsen Sips? How are you doing? Was it his birthday? I think it was his birthday so. yesterday, yeah. Uh, everyone, happy birthday to Dr. Rojo there, the redhead. Uh, it's an honor to get that from you, Dr. Boyd. Oh, wow. Sometimes right, give me like two minutes. Yep. But, um, yeah, so we do this live, unscripted, as you guys <laughs> haven't uh, can tell if you haven't noticed already. But uh, with that, I guess we'll sign off for today. Yeah. Got to do some work stuff. Uh, great, Cheers. great talk, great podcast. We'll see you guys uh, next time. All righty. Cheers, All right. everybody. I'll see you guys. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Nips and Sips. If you liked what you listened to, please follow and subscribe to us on all major social media and podcast platforms. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts if you enjoyed the show. Interested in one of our courses? Go to www.iosmt.com. Interested in business and private practice mentorship and advice? Visit us at therehabcoaches.com. As always, feel free to reach out to us if you have any questions or recommendations, whether that be clinical or SIPs. At Manips and SIPs, at The Decent Doctor, and at Think Like a Fellow. Thanks for tuning in and cheers, everyone.